0: You can take your copy of God's Word and turn it to Mark chapter 8. Say we're looking at verses 34 through 38 with a sermon entitled The Cost of Discipleship. Let's go to God's Word now and hear from Him and learn and start in verse 34. And calling the crowd to Him with His disciples, he said to them: If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up His cross. For whoever is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his fathers with the holy angels. It's God's word for us this morning. Let's go to him and ask for him blessed bless it. Father, thank you for this word. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears ears to hear holy spirit give us a heart that can receive this message and i pray that it can transform us and lead us to live fruitful lives that honor and glorify you god give us the grace to obey this passage to hear it and understand it and know it and believe it all for your glory in your name jesus amen and first of all um, i want to say to all the kids in the room today is uh Uh, family worship day so our kids are up here and we're so glad to have you guys um, with us and you know I just want to say from up here that this church loves you and we're here for you and we really you know our earnest desire and prayer is for you to become disciples of Jesus Christ who glorify Jesus and enjoy Jesus and so we're so glad you're in here and you know that word disciple uh, means to be a, a learner literally it means to be a learner um, it means to be set on growing and learning and developing into being like someone else. So think about like a child and a parent. So a parent walks and talks and eats, right? And so the kid sees that over and over and over again, and eventually that little kid starts walking and talking and eating. That's kind of what discipleship is like. We, we want you kids to, to be like your parents, Right, But more than that, we want you to become like Jesus. So much so that your entire life is all about glorifying and enjoying Jesus as his disciple. But today we're asking the question, what does it cost to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Ultimately, we'll see in the text that the cost is extremely high, but the cost of not following Jesus is even higher than that. So we have two points. The cost of following Jesus is your life. And then I want to make a correction in the bulletin. The cost of not following Jesus is your soul. Okay, so it's not life twice. It's point number one, verses 34 through 35, is the cost of following Jesus is your life. And then in verses 36 through 38 is the cost of not following Jesus is your soul. Okay, so number one. The cost of following Jesus is is your life. So last week, if you remember, we, we talked about how Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and the mission of the Christ was to die on the cross for our sins and be raised three days later. Now the logic of this next section, starting in verse 34, is that if Jesus got killed, his followers should, be, um, should expect to be killed as well. That's the logic of the text. So last week we talked, hey, I'm the Messiah, and I'm going to get killed. And now, if you're my disciple, you should expect to be killed. John 15, 20 says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's the logic of these two sections, back to back together. So notice in verse 34, Verse 34, Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me. So notice he doesn't just say this to his disciples. He doesn't just say this to the twelve. But he calls the crowd to himself. And he says, If anyone would come after me. If anyone would be my disciple. And then he lays out this cost of discipleship. I want to point out that what Jesus is saying here is not for super special Christians. This is for all Christians. This, Jesus is not about to go into what advanced Christianity looks like. Jesus is about to describe what basic Christianity looks like. This is what it means to be a Christian. So what does it cost to follow Jesus? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. First, there is self-denial. Do you see that? The first thing he says is let him deny Himself. What does it mean to deny yourself? Uh, think about healthy eating. Okay, so you have certain desires for food, whether it's fudge rounds or fried chicken or whatever your potential uh, stumbling block may be. But in the pursuit of health, you say no to these lower desires in your, in your, I don't know where that comes from, your brain, from your stomach, I don't know. Um, but you say, you say no to those lower desires for the pursuit of the higher desire of being healthy. So denying yourself means to say no to lower desires or selfish desires in, to, to pursue a higher desire, specifically in this text, in this context, following Christ. So to say yes to Jesus means to say no to yourself. To, to follow Jesus is to be more concerned with what Jesus wants than what you want. Whew, that's hard, right? Is that not a, is that not a hard call? Um, denying yourself. So first of all, let's think about denying yourself when it comes to saying no to sin. Because that's, that's what denying yourself means. It means saying no to sin. Because sin is living life how you want to live it. Is it not? It, it's saying I want to live the way I want to live and I don't care how God wants me to live. So uh, you may have certain sexual desires. You may have the desire not to submit and to honor your parents. Okay, that's a desire you may have. You may have the desire to hate people who aren't like you in certain ways. You may have the desire to be greedy with your money. But to follow Jesus is to deny yourself. It's not saying, hey, these desires, you know, you you can't have them. It's saying, hey, I have to reject those desires that I have. I have sinful desires. I need to deny them, reject them, repent of them, and follow after Jesus. What denying yourself means, but it also can mean Denying yourself means saying no to good things. You you might have to deny yourself good things in in order to follow Jesus. Like maybe it's certain dreams or certain goals that you have. To follow Jesus means you have to deny yourself so much that he becomes the number one priority in your life. So you might have to say no to certain good things in order to follow Jesus. Now, I know this is extremely countercultural, is it not? I mean, our culture says to never deny yourself. Our, our culture is so concerned with being authentic, which means to be true to your desires, that the worst, most harmful thing you could ever do is to suppress certain desires you have. But right here, Jesus is saying, if anyone wants to come after me, they have to deny themselves. They have to say no to certain things in their heart. That's what being a Christian is. That's what following Jesus is. The call to follow Christ is a call to self-denial. And this is not only at salvation, brothers and sisters. No, this is every single day of the Christian life. This is something we have to wake up and, as Paul says, die daily. We have to take up our cross daily. We have to deny our lower desires to pursue the higher desire of following Christ. We have to deny the desires of the flesh to to follow after the desires of the Spirit. We have to mortify the flesh. We have to put to death certain things in us and give life to other things. That's what Christianity is. So if you are here this morning and you don't want to love your wife, guess what? Deny yourself and love your wife. Uh, If you're here this morning and you don't want to pray, deny yourself and pursue God in prayer. If you're here this morning and you want to gossip, deny yourself and shut up. Right, that's what God's Word's calling us to do, is to deny ourselves, to deny our desires, um, and, and pursue a greater desire, pursue Jesus' desires for our lives. Okay, so second, that's just four words right there, right? Okay, so the second thing is, is take up His cross. We're familiar with the cross. We have a cross here in the room. You might have a cross on your neck. It can be a very sentimental thing to us. We're familiar with the cross. But to the original listeners of this, in the context that Jesus Christ was speaking to, the cross was the most horrific thing imaginable. This is not comfortable. This is not sweet. You wouldn't see this in a kid's room. It was an instrument of the Roman Empire that they used to terrorize their subjects and to instill dread upon every heart. It would be this horrific thing, scary and gross and sad. And Jesus saying, if you want to be my follower, you have to say no to your desires and you have to pick up this instrument of torture. Now, let's be clear. Jesus is not saying that if you follow him, you will certainly be killed. We know that's true. We have all of history, you know, saying it's not a one-for-one thing. If you follow Jesus, you automatically are going to be crucified or something like that. But he is saying that if you follow Christ, you should be ready to be killed. If you follow Jesus, you should be ready to give up your life. If you follow Jesus, you should be ready to be crucified just like he was crucified. The cost to following Jesus is your life. To put your faith in Jesus and to follow him is to say no to yourself and willingly lay your life down for Christ by taking up your cross and following after Jesus. And where's Jesus going? He's headed to be crucified. Primarily, I I think in the text that the way to, you know, honestly deal with this is to say Jesus is talking about being willing to physically die for him. I know that's heavy. So the question is, are you willing to die for Jesus? Are you willing to take up your cross and follow Jesus to the place of crucifixion? Now, wrapped up in that symbolically, I believe, so I think that's, that's the primary meaning of this is, hey... Are you ready to die for Jesus? But wrapped up in that symbolically is the call to be ready to forsake everything else for Jesus as well. So number one, are you, are you willing to die for him? And then every other thing, are you willing to forsake that? So whether it's your friends or your family or your comfort or your money or your jobs or your hobbies or your desires... The call here to take up your cross and be ready to die for Jesus is a call to completely give up your life and everything you love about your life so that you can follow after Jesus Christ. So the question is, are you willing to do that? Because that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to follow him. Now, I want to zoom out here and be careful because answering this question, will you die for Jesus, is fraught with difficulties. What do I mean by that? On one hand, uh, some of us in this room will be like Peter. Later in the gospel, um, this is Mark fourteen thirty one. Peter will say, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So Peter's answer to this question in Mark 14 is absolutely yes. And then what happens to Peter later on? Not very much longer after saying that, he absolutely crumbles um, in the moment. Um, when, the, when the hour where the decision was actually thrust upon him, he failed at being willing to die for Jesus. So some of you guys in here might be like, oh yeah, easy, yeah. But then when it actually comes to it, you know, you might crumble. And then there's other people in the room um, who hear the question, will you die for Jesus and think, well, I hope so. Um, but deep down, I'm scared that I'm not strong enough to do something like that. Right, you, you, you have, so there's either like this, you know, really false confidence, like, oh, easily I'll do that. Easily I'd give up my life for Jesus. Or there, there's this self-doubt of, I don't know how I would respond if I ever got put in that situation. So, how can we really know our answer to this question, would you die for Jesus? It's extremely important to be able to answer yes to that question and to know that you're answering yes to that question because it seems like it's a prerequisite to following Jesus, is to completely give your life to him. So how can we know what our answer truly would be? Because we don't know if we'll ever actually face that hour, correct? You may, you may not. Who knows? One theologian, this is really helpful to me, um, said, the people... We prove to be in that hour, the hour being, you know, that that potential hour where we're going to have to give our lives up for Christ and for, you know, our, our confession of Christ. The people we prove to be in that hour will be determined not by our thinking about that hour, but by our thinking and living in this hour. We will measure up to tomorrow's requirements only by measuring up to today's. I think that's really good. So what he's saying there is don't consume yourself. Well, in this potential future situation, will I give up my life for Jesus? I don't know. And we might be constantly focused on, when we're focused on this passage saying, will I, can I, am I strong enough? Will I be strong enough? Can I do it? No, 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 that's not the right way to th- think about this. Instead, consume yourself with who you are today. Deny yourself Today. Pursue Jesus today. Take up your cross today. Live a life of obedience and repentance and faith and sacrifice today. And then little by little, you'll build up a character that will be able to withstand any persecution. So don't focus on who you're going to be in 40 years. Focus on who you are today. Obey Christ today. And then when that hour comes, you can trust the promise of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, deny yourself today, follow Christ today, trust in him for the future, whatever may come. Now, this seems pretty dark. I mean, we we, we love our lives, our friends, our families, our comforts, our jobs, our hobbies, and now we're talking about sacrificing all of them to potentially be crucified for Jesus. You may be tempted in response to hearing this to, to to hold on to these things even tighter. I don't want to give up my life. I don't want to give up these good things. I want to hold on to them even more. And and I, I love these things too much to give them up. Look what he says next in verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So if you live life trying to hold on to all the things you love, whoever who saved his life, if you want to save your life, You're going to end up losing it anyway, is what the text says. That's because nothing in this life, if you haven't figured this out yet, lasts forever. No matter how much we love it or how good life is, we are all going to die and stand before our Creator. So surprisingly, what Jesus is teaching us here is the best way to keep our life is to intentionally give it up. And if we try to hold on to our life, we're going to end up losing it. Now, this is uh, kind of like a raccoon trap. Now, I will say, I have no idea how raccoon traps work. So I'm going to tell you what I've read in a book about raccoon traps. Okay, I should have ran this by Chad or something. He probably could have told me. Um, But apparently, allegedly, based on what I've read in books, you can put something Um, shiny, because raccoons love shiny things, into something they can reach into, okay? And they can't help but reach for that shiny thing and grab onto it. But once they make a fist, that fist disallows them from pulling it out of the trap that they've put themselves in. Does that make sense? Now, all they would have to do to get out of the trap is to let go of the shiny thing. But they love the shiny thing so much that they won't let go of it. And so they're sitting there trapped because they won't let go. Is that true or not? I don't know. Ask Chad. It's a great illustration, though, is it not? I mean, mean, who cares if it's true? It's such a good illustration. So it's the exact same thing with us. We have our shiny things that we love, like being the Lord of our own lives, like our freedom, like our desires. And they're actually preventing us from true freedom and true joy and true life. And so to to receive true freedom, we have to let these things go. We have to let our life go, and then our lives will be saved. But if we hold on, we're going to lose our lives. That's what he's saying here. I want to be really clear. This this can all sound like this passage means that um, denying yourself um, and taking up your cross is some means to earn your salvation. It can sound like that. Um, that if you deny yourself, if you say no, if you try enough, if you let go of the shiny thing, then you've done enough good that Jesus will say, okay, you count as a follower of mine. That's not what this passage is saying. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 is clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. We are not saved by doing good things. We are not saved by you know, radical self-denial. We are saved by the free gift of God found in the grace of Jesus Christ. You can't earn that. You can only receive it. But here's the question. What does it look like to receive the grace of God? And I want to suggest to you, based on what Jesus is saying here, to receive the grace of God looks like denying yourself and taking up your cross and following after Jesus. That's what it looks like when you receive the grace of God. The grace of God in your life looks like you being ready and willing to sacrifice all you love, even your very life, to follow Christ. So if you've received the grace of God, this is how you're going to live and act. Again, I'm not saying literally you might have to sacrifice all these things. You may have to. I don't know what's going to happen in your future. You may not have to actually make the choice to give up your life for Christ. But to follow Christ means to be willing to sacrifice all those things. It means to completely give over every single part of your life and not leaving one thing outside of his lordship. With, with this said, do you see how this absolutely obliterates this false doctrine of easy believism that we have just been so um, um, infiltrated, um, infiltrated by in the church today? Easy, believ- easy believism is the idea of like you can walk an aisle, you can sign a card, um, and then you never have to think about it another day in your life. Like, okay, I, 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 I signed my name on a card. That was 40 years ago. I haven't pursued Christ since. I haven't repented since. I haven't shown any fruit since. I haven't done anything. But, hey, I made, I made that choice. And so what can you say? I've I, I put my, I, I've, I've believed, I've, I've done that. I've, I've settled it. But do you see how this passage has such a much higher than just signing a card? The grace of God in your life looks like self-denial. It looks like taking up your cross. It looks like following after Christ. It looks like a life change. It looks like Second Corinthians five seventeen, a new creation. That's what salvation is. not simply just saying, okay, I'm going to intellectually assent to these certain facts about Jesus and never think about it again. With all that said, don't you see how this passage, these two verses, should shape the way we view our discipleship as Christians? I mean, have we forgotten our Savior was crucified? I mean, let's not think that we can follow after Jesus and expect a comfortable, easy, suffering-free life. Why do we think that? Jesus' whole purpose of coming here was to die on a cross and then we follow after Jesus and hope everything's great and we never have to suffer and we never have to pay anything and we never have to be persecuted. No, instead, let's take up our cross daily in self-denial and live in the only way that makes sense, following after Jesus. It's hard to call to sacrifice, honestly, because you get so much more than you give up. That's what we're about to see. It's the best possible trade that you could ever make because Jesus is the best possible thing you could ever receive. It leads us to point number two, the cost of not following Jesus is your soul. Some of you in this room have made that trade. You have denied yourself. You have taken up your cross. You have followed after Jesus and received him. And you know exactly the joy and love and peace and abundant life I'm talking about. You get so much more than you forfeit when it comes to Christ. But now in the text, we need to talk about specifically what happens if you don't follow Jesus, if you hold on to your life, if you reject him, if you walk in disobedience. And we'll see that the cost of not following Jesus is your soul. Verse 36 For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? First, Jesus Jesus teaches us here that we indeed have a soul. Do you see that? This is the inner spiritual part of humanity. Don't believe the lie that we are just animals or we are just a body with brain chemicals. Um, fizzing in certain ways. No, we have a body, and the Bible teaches us that we also have a soul. That we have a spiritual side to us because every single human being is made in the image of God. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So we have a soul. That's a thing. We, we possess it. And when Jesus asked the question... Verse 37, for what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is teaching us that the soul is the most valuable thing that we have. Our soul is more important than our money. Our soul is more important than our possessions. Our soul is more important than anything else the world can offer. Jesus is saying with this question, it's a rhetorical question, for what can a man give in return for his soul? You shouldn't give up your soul for anything. You shouldn't trade your soul for anything. Why? Because our souls are eternal. That part of us is never going away. We are either going to exist forever in heaven or we're going to exist forever in hell. But your soul is going to go on. Matthew 25, 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Your soul is going to live. It's the most important possession you have. And that's why Jesus says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, verse 36, and forfeit his soul? Imagine with me someone who was the most popular person in high school, graduated from Harvard as the valedictorian, married his high school sweetheart, became the most wealthy man in America, was elected to be the president of the United States, and somehow, even though he was the president, somehow he had a 100% approval rating. Okay, I don't know how that would work, but he's got 100% cuz everybody loves him. Okay, he has 10 kids, 25 grandkids, 16 great-grandkids. At the end of his life, he dies at 120 and they say he's the most blessed and lucky man to ever live and then he dies and then he goes to hell forever. Do you see that ultimately gaining the whole world is no profit if you lose your soul? Do you see how those 120 years of absolute earthly bliss would quickly be overtaken by eternity? I mean, those great 120 years would seem like nothing in light of eternal suffering forever. So you have a choice in this passage. Give up your life for Jesus or give Jesus up for your life. And to give Jesus up for your life may lead to an awesome life temporarily in this world. No doubt about it, you may have more money, you may have more sex, you may have more popularity, but you need to consider how that choice will affect your eternity. Look at verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So if you hear the call to deny yourself and to take up your cross and follow after Jesus and you're ashamed of it, you turn away from it, you hide from it, it's because you're wanting to fit in with the world. It's because you're wanting to save your life. It's because you're choosing the world over Christ. And so Jesus is saying, if you're ashamed of me, I'm gonna be ashamed of you on the last day. If you don't claim me, I'm not going to claim you. And please listen to me. That is the worst possible thing that could ever happen. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to return. You're going to stand before him. And him not claiming you, him being ashamed of you, him sending you into eternal destruction and hell forever is the worst possible thing that could ever happen to you. So what we need to do, Christians and non-Christians who are considering this passage today, we need to live our lives in view of the return of Christ. To make every decision, fully aware that we will stand before Christ and give an account of every decision we make. But when we do that, we need to be aware, we need to recognize that it will not be popular to follow Jesus It wasn't popular then. It's not popular now. Nevertheless, we don't want to pursue popularity. We want to pursue faithfulness to Christ. And that's the choice. To follow after Christ is not going to be popular. It's going to lead to shame in this sinful and adulterous generation. So what this passage is calling us to is to refuse to be ashamed of Christ, to hear his word, to sacrifice whatever is necessary to obey his word, because that will pay off now, but especially when Jesus returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The cost of following Jesus is infinitely worth it, but the cost of not following Jesus is infinitely horrific. Do you see that? the christians in the room this should absolutely change the way we view this world it can be tempting it can be easy for us to be envious of the famous and the rich and the successful but if they're just going to live a human life and end up losing the most valuable thing their soul for all eternity those people are not to be envied they're to be pitied that should change the way we view the world it should change the way we view celebrities These people don't have it all if they're just gaining the whole world to forfeit their soul. Read Psalm 73 later and see um, Asaph struggle with that and and, and come to that conclusion. But here um, in the second half of the passage we see the concept of delayed gratification. Um, This happens in our earthly lives. You suffer in workouts now, you'll be healthy later. You deny yourself certain things you'd love to buy so you'll have financial security later. You miss out on some fun events so you can study hard and get good grades and be successful later. It's not very popular in our culture, right? Delayed gratification. Jesus is saying in this passage, accept worldly shame now and receive heavenly glory later. Or you can accept worldly glory now and you'll receive heavenly shame later. That's the choice. And the obvious choice is delayed gratification. Sacrifice the world so you can have heaven. Take up your cross so you can have eternal life. Deny yourself so you can have Christ. In other words, right now, in your life, matters forever. How you live now will affect how you live for eternity. So choose shame now, knowing that you'll get glory later. Choose the cross now, knowing that you'll get life later. Deny yourself now, knowing that you'll get Christ. And Christian, let this passage inform you so that you don't get discouraged by persecution. You don't get discouraged by suffering or hardship or difficulty. Those things coming in your life, and they will come in your life, difficulty, hardship, suffering, that does not mean that Christianity is not true or that God isn't working suffering is a feature of discipleship not a bug of discipleship it's all about denying yourself taking up your cross following after Jesus suffering with Christ but just as Christ died in humiliation and rose in glory choosing to be shamed with Christ comes with the promise of the glory of eternal life in the kingdom of heaven forever so choose to be shamed with Christ now Enjoy the benefits for eternity. So in conclusion, the cost of following Jesus is your life. The cost of not following Jesus is your soul. The stakes literally could not be higher than your life, your eternity, your soul. This passage shows us that while following Jesus is a costly choice, I mean, it's going to cost you your life, it should be a clear choice. So if you're someone in here who claims to be a Christian, you claim to be a follower of Christ... I want to ask based on this text, does your faith cost you anything? Because he's talking about falling after me looks like denying myself. It looks like taking up your cross. It looks like losing your life. Um, it looks like being ashamed in the sinful, adulterous generation. Does your faith cost you anything at all? J.C. Ryle says a religion which costs nothing is worth nothing. Does it cost you anything? Is there hardship? Is there suffering? Is there self denial? Maybe spend some time with God's Word this morning and ask the Holy Spirit to work on your heart. Another way to say it is from the great missionary to Ecuador, Jim Elliot. This is a great way to sum up this passage. He said, "He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose." That's that passage Is this, is that not the passage? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. All the stuff in this world, all the money, all the sex, all the fame, all the food, all the relationships, you can't keep any of them. Not a single one of them is going to last. Not a single one of them is eternal. But Jesus offers something that will last forever. Jesus offers a relationship and a kingdom that will last. Jesus offers purpose and peace and love and joy and pleasure forever. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus is the one offering true life and joy and true pleasure. So it's not stupid to give everything up for Jesus. It's actually the smartest thing you can ever do. And I invite you to do that today. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. The cost of following Jesus is your life, but the cost of not following Jesus is your soul. Let's pray. Father, it's a high cost, God, but I pray that by your grace we're willing to pay it. God, help us be a people that deny ourselves. Help us be a people that take up our cross daily and follow after you. God, I pray that we have a costly faith. God, I pray that you can give us the grace to embrace suffering and hardship, that we can embrace shame and suffering and and, um, persecution for you, Jesus, um, knowing that that's what you did for us and so we're going to do it for you. God, I pray for anybody struggling in here with their faith. Um, God, I pray for true believers that you can strengthen them with this passage, Lord. Give them greater faith, God, for people who are um, who are maybe false Christians, God, who are nominal Christians. God, I pray that you can use this passage to awake them from their slumber, realizing that their faith has never cost them anything, um, that they don't repent, they don't deny themselves, and maybe they've made a false profession. God, I pray that you, in your holy wisdom, can... Um, minister to people where they're at in a way that I never could. But God, thank you for your word. I pray that you can apply it to our hearts now and be with us as we enter this time of the Lord's Supper. In your name, Jesus. Amen.